Amen. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving Day is fast approaching us. A little bit later in this week, on Thanksgiving Day, many of us will be laying on the couch in pain, having consumed so much turkey and ham and mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and stuffing with gravy, and, and some of us will have eaten pumpkin pie with Cool Whip on top. You have to have the Cool Whip on top. And some of us will have eaten cranberry sauce. The only difference is some of us will have eaten cranberry sauce that actually looks like cranberries, while the rest of us are eating cranberry sauce that looks more like purple jello in the form of an aluminum can, right? Uh, so how, how many feel me on that, right? That's, you're like, that's why we rose up. That's right. That's why we rose up. That's right. And, uh, and, and so that day is going to come. And the truth is, is that most of us are probably going to eat more than what we need to on Thanksgiving Day. That's just kind of a, a fact. And you know, it was interesting this last week, I was kind of looking through some things and some files and, and uh, I began to notice that I don't think I've ever, and some of you have been here for a long time, and I don't think I've ever preached a Thanksgiving sermon in preparation for Thanksgiving. Uh, in, in all the years that I've been here, I, I, I've looked back into the files, the vault of files and all that rich preaching uh, from all those years, just joking, and uh, look back, and there's all kinds of Christmas sermons that I've preached to prepare for Christmas, and, 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 and Easter sermons to prepare for Easter, but no Thanksgiving sermons to prepare for Thanksgiving. And so what I, I was thinking, what, what is it that I normally do? And the truth is, I normally just remain in whatever series that we're doing at the time, and in the beginning of the service or the end of the service, I kind of let everybody know, hey, by the way, Thanksgiving is coming up, let us all be thankful. And, uh, and so that's usually how I've dealt with it in the past. Now, I don't know what that says about me other than I'm a bad, unthankful pastor, um, but I, I begin to really go down that avenue again. Uh, immediately, uh, even after the difficulty in the scriptures that we've been looking at in 1 Samuel, I, I jump back in on Monday morning, and as I begin to look at the next uh, uh, pericope, the next section of scripture, and begin to study it, what I found was, guess what? There's just more of the same. And what I mean by more of the same is that there was going to be more disobedience to God, more God threatening them that he's going to, dis that he's going to discipline his people, and more ignoring of the warnings of God to come. And so to be honest with you, I just couldn't do it. I was like, dude, I got to come up for air. And I figured if I have to come up for air, then you might have to come up with air. When I was trying to determine what I should do, I asked my son, who I go to for all my most important deep questions, my 13-year-old son. And basically he said to me, I said, yeah, this is what it's about if we stay in 1 Samuel. And he's like, wow, that's, that's depressing. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's enough. Let's move on. So I decided that what I would do is, is preach a sermon on Thanksgiving to prepare us for Thanksgiving. And, and I know that there might be some sitting there. I know that you're like, you're a little bit early. Usually Thanksgiving sermons happen like on, on that weekend, closest to the weekend. Uh, but if I did that, it would be more of a corrective message rather than an instructive message. And so today I'm going to probably peach, a, uh, peach. I'm going to peach a passage. I'm going to, hopefully not. I'm going to, pre uh, Thanksgiving's on my mind. Uh, I'm going to preach a passage that is often preached on this very day. I've never preached it before, but I hope to uh, today, and hopefully it goes okay. I'm going to preach a story that is quite well known to many of you. It's the story of the 10 lepers, a story that I read earlier. And there's always a danger in preaching or teaching a story that is so well known and so much great familiarity, and that is that we just kind of tune it out or we're expecting something different. I want to let you know this morning not to expect anything different. It's just truth, God's truth, 
that we need to not only know and repeat, but we need to let that truth grip us. And so what we want to do today in, in light of trying to prepare for Thanksgiving, uh, let's look at what Thanksgiving really looks like. And there's just two things we want to point out this morning. The first thing that we see in our text, first part of Thanksgiving is the extending of God's grace is the extending of God's grace. That's how this whole Thanksgiving thing begins, by God working in our lives and giving us stuff, giving us good things, things that we're completely undeserving of. And so look at our scripture, beginning in verse 11. Really what we have is this kind of sets the context for us. Verse 11 says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, what Luke is doing is the he that's referred to here is actually Jesus himself. And and, and Luke is introducing Jesus' last week on earth, last week that he's going to be alive, and he's going to spend it in Jerusalem. And he's been to Jerusalem on several other occasions, but this is going to be his last. This trip to Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be put to death for the sins of the world. And so what we find is, is, is when Luke's writing, if we were to go back a little bit further, we'd find that he makes this really definitive, very distinctive separation and distinction between how Jesus in his last week responds to the religious leaders and how he ultimately responds to those who are poor and those who are weak and those who are sick. In fact, during the whole week, every time the religious leaders come to confront him, he treats them uh, really with a very strong rebuke each and every time. But when other people come to him humbly, the the sick, and they're needing his help, and they're needing his advice, and they're needing his direction, and they're needing his forgiveness, whatever it is, Jesus is incredibly benevolent, merciful, and gracious to them. Basically, what we see in Jesus in that last week is really the truth that we find in James chapter 4 and verse 6, which says, God rejects the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what we're going to find is we're going to see a continuation of that theme for Luke in this next story. Not the first part, the rejection, but rather more of his grace to those who are in need of it, who have been humbled. And what we find in verse 12 is a group of of, of men who have been humbled because of their circumstances. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, the word leprosy in the Old Testament, as mentioned here, uh, really, it's a broad term. Uh, uh, It's a broad term that really includes almost any kind of skin uh, disease or any kind of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, disease that would have to do with the skin of what sorts. But it also speaks of that leprosy that we immediately think of, that vile, horrendous um, um, type of disease that is debilitating and, and, and seems to appear to eat away at the flesh. That's what we often think of. That's what's happening here with these particular men. There's 10 of them that have that type of leprosy. Uh, that leprosy is what we call today Hansen's disease. And it's actually caused by a bacteria that affects uh, the skin, it's the peripheral nerves, and the mucous membranes. When, when a person has it, legions begin to develop, sores begin to develop on the person's body. And when it does, uh, it, it, contrary to popular belief, it doesn't actually eat away the skin. That's a popular teaching, but it's just simply wrong. Uh, what gives it an appearance that the skin is kind of being eaten away is infection. Uh, because the nerve endings are kind of eaten away and the person becomes kind of oblivious to pain, pain can actually be a good thing. It lets us know that something's wrong and we're hurt. And so these lepers, when they would get 
uh, uh, this uh, leprosy, they would lose any ability to feel pain. So they would injure themselves. They would cut themselves or burn themselves or get some other form of abrasion. And then infection, because they wouldn't care for it, infection would begin to set in. And when the infection would set in, literally parts of their body would begin to literally rot. And so this was especially true in the extremities, like the ears, the nose, the lips, the hands. Sometimes people have called this particular disease, Hansen's disease, uh, they, they often called it uh, lion's disease because of the way that it would give this very distinctive look to those who would have it. The nose of the individual would begin to sink in and folds and lines within the skin would begin to form uh, because of the sores. And they would literally look like the appearance of a lion. It was humiliating. It was a physically humiliating and debilitating type disease. But it wasn't just because of what they looked like. There's a woman by the name of Beth Moore that some of you might be familiar with. She tells a story about one day going to an impoverished country. And there in this country is an actual modern-day leper colony. And when she found out that she was going to go uh, to this place and this leper colony was there, she set her heart on going and ministering to them. She thought to herself, man, Jesus had a heart for the lepers. I need to go and demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to those lepers in t today as well. And so she went and she said that she tried not once, not twice, but three times to try to go into the building where these lepers were being housed and nursed back uh, to health. And she said she could never get in. And it wasn't because she wasn't allowed to go in or it wasn't because she was appalled by what she saw. She said that she was appalled by the smell. The smell of the flesh and the, and the infections within these people was so strong that every time she tried to get near the door, she would begin to gag and she was afraid that she was going to vomit. She never went in because she didn't want to disgrace the people who were already so humiliated because of this humiliating disease. She just couldn't go in. So these 10 men were suffering underneath this kind of pressure, under this kind of physical suffering. But it wasn't only physical suffering, it would have been social and emotional suffering as well. What we read about in the Old Testament in the book of Moses is, is, is basically that, that when you were diagnosed with this leprosy, your life was over as you know it. If you were to be diagnosed, if you were to have some kind of wound or some kind of sore and it began to grow and be embellished on your body, you would go to the priest who kind of served as kind of like the health inspector, if you will, and, and, or health clinic, and you would go to him. And if he looked and he would take you aside and, and he would look at you very carefully from head to toe, and then he'd probably put you aside in isolation for about seven days. And if you got better over that time, you'd be able to return home. But if, if you didn't get better, if it worsened and he actually said, you have leprosy, you were declared unclean and you were no longer allowed to go home. You, you couldn't go home to your wife. You couldn't go home to your kids. You couldn't go home to your job. Uh, you had to be remained out. You couldn't even come into a walled city. It was illegal for a leper to come into a city with walls because they felt like people couldn't escape being around these particular lepers. People had to remain, it was by law, people had to remain at least six feet, or they had to remain at least six feet away from people. That is, unless uh, there was a wind, if there was a wind that was blowing in their direction and blowing towards people, they had to remain a full 150 feet away in, 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 to be able to protect from any kind of infection. Uh, they, they weren't allowed to brush their hair. They had to allow their hair just to be able to grow out and it would become matted and, and disheveled. And, and, and the purpose for that was that when people would see them from a distance, even if they didn't hear them or smell them or, or, not, or, or notice, they could see that this person by their outward appearance was certainly an unclean individual. And of course, the person had a responsibility who had this leprosy to let everybody know that they were infected. Anytime they would be walking on a road, if somebody didn't recognize them as a leper, they would have to cry out as they were coming, unclean, 
unclean. And imagine this kind of stigma, right? Because as though that's not bad enough, stop and think about the permanence of understanding that you can never go home, uh, that you can never kiss your wife, that you can never sit down to dinner with your family, you can never celebrate another birthday, you can never celebrate another holiday, you can never sleep in your own bed again. You're a complete outcast, not only from society, but from your family as well. It's really a heavy burden. You're, you're suffering physically, but you're, you're, you're suffering emotionally. Not only that, they would have suffered spiritually as well. For the Jewish people, they had some bad theology. And one of the worst parts of their theology is believing that people who got sick got sick simply because of their sin. If you were sick or if you had some type of disease, it was the direct result of your sin against God. And guess what? The worse the disease, the worse the sin. We see this in the study of Job, right? When the friends are like, dude, repent. And he goes, I have nothing to repent of. And they go, that can't be. There's no way because, because sick people are sick simply because of their sin. And we know that not to be true, right? We know that people get sick just because we live within a sinful world. Now, some sickness could become from that, but we don't know. But always for them, imagine living under this, this kind of, of turmoil of you suffering physically eating away at you, you not being able to go home, not being able to hold a job, not being able to hold your kids. And, and here you are and everybody that looks at you extends absolutely no compassion whatsoever. Do you know why? Because you're viewed as an individual that is reaping exactly what you deserve. You deserve this. You're suffering, but it's because of your own sin. And then think about their own thoughts. You ever sat back and gone through difficult times when you thought, God, what have I done? Have I done something, God, that's made you angry with me that I'm suffering in this particular way? Anybody ever been there? And here they are. They're not only hearing it, but from everybody else and them racking their brains going, God, what could have ever happened? What could I have done to deserve such a horrible thing? This is true suffering. And these men have gone everywhere and they've done everything that they can, but there's no cure for them medically. And so they've gone everywhere. But one day they hear about this man by the name of Jesus. Do you remember the day that you heard about Jesus? Good news, they begin to get exciting. There's hope where there's no hope. They begin to hear that this guy has compassion on men just like them, that he had the power to be able to heal other lepers just like them. And so one day, the 10 of them are hanging out because when you're a leper, that's who you hang out with as other lepers. And they're like, hey, let's give it a chance. What do we have to lose? Maybe you'll have compassion on us. And so they go to him and they cry out to him and they say, oh, great teacher, have mercy on us. Isn't it amazing? They don't even... They're wanting him to heal him. But you know what they're looking for? Even if Jesus doesn't heal him, maybe he'll just demonstrate some level of compassion for them. Now that's suffering. Just that even if you don't, see, even if you don't heal me directly, maybe he'll be kind to us, unlike everybody else that we meet on a day-to-day -day basis who wants nothing to do with him, doesn't want to be able to be with us at all. And so something amazing happens on their way. As they begin to go, the Bible says, notice this next part. He says, he says, uh, he says, um, he, he goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Verse 14. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, let me explain this for a moment, because this is different than how Jesus usually responds to people who are in need. Normally, and even earlier in the book of Luke, uh, he heals another leper. And when he heals him, he actually lays hands on him. And then he tells him, you're clean. So Jesus takes a completely different approach in this particular way. He's not even next to him. These guys are yelling, have mercy on us. And he goes, hey, go see the priest. He doesn't even say that you're, 
healed. It doesn't say that your faith is made you healed. It doesn't say any of that stuff. But what's interesting is, is why does he do it that way? Well, on a technical time, he t- technical level, he tells them to go see the priest because only the priest who has told them that they are unclean can give them a free, clean bill of health and tell them that they are now clean so that they can go back to their lives. But there's another thing, and that is that God is testing of their faith. Because faith is not what we see. Faith is what we believe in God's word. So he's wondering, will they take me at my word? Or are they going to believe what it is that they see? That's why we say all the time that, that faith is, that we walk by faith and not by what? By sight. And so these men could have just refused that. They could have sat around and go, this is ridiculous. We're not going to go to the priest. If we go to the priest looking like this, he's going to scoff at us. And he's going to get on to us saying that we're coming for no reason. But they didn't. They took the word of God for what it was, and they all, all 10 of them, left, and they begin to work their way to the priest. Then something amazing happens. Remember all the suffering? Wiped away. Here's what happens. He says, and as they went, they were cleansed. So imagine this. Use your sanctified imagination for a second. They're walking along, and as they're talking and going, I don't know why we're going over this guy, but we're just going over this guy. I don't know why we're doing. All of a sudden, one of the guys is like, Ned, what? Your nose? What, do you, what about my nose? You have one, right? And Eric, you've got ears. Ted, toes. I got toes. Larry, lips. And we'll stop at the body parts right there, right? And so they're, they're, in, in they're, in, in they're looking at each other. And what do you think they did? I mean, you don't have to embellish the text to know that this would have been a great day of rejoicing, that they had experienced the mercies and the goodness of God. And so they're all fired up and they're all good. And every single one of us in here can identify with this. Can we not? We can all, you're like, I've never had some funky skin disease like that. No, no. But we have received immensely the goodness and the graces of God. And the truth of the matter is we can never count them all. We can never mention them all. No matter how much we spend around the dinner table this coming uh, Thursday, giving thanks about all that we are thankful for. We don't have enough time to be able to list all the things that God has extended us and given to us through his mercy. Would you give me an amen on that? That is the first place of gratitude and thanksgiving. You know what it is? Recognizing that we have received what we do not deserve. And we have not just received grace, but we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Are you with me? All right, second part. Wow, we're halfway through. This is my Thanksgiving uh, gift to you, all right? Second, second thing, here it is. The second thing is our responding to God's grace. That's the second part. And, and one of the most important parts that really demonstrates if your Thanksgiving is actual, actually Thanksgiving, okay? So we respond to that. There, when God gives us all that, there's a way to respond. And we see two responses here. Verse 15, notice this. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on the face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. They add Luke, Dr. Luke adds the fact that he's a Samaritan because people can't believe that this guy is actually bowing down in front of Jesus because Jesus is a Jew. And you knew that the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other, but he doesn't care. He's got a heart of gratitude. He's thankful to Jesus for what's happening. But the immediate question that comes to our mind is the very question that Jesus asks. When he comes back, what is Jesus thinking? What are we thinking? We're not 10 cleansed, verse 17. He says, where "Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? 
what, what in the world is going on? Stop it. Let's back up for a minute. So far, all 10 of them have gone through the same exact thing. They've experienced the same exact process, but they respond to the same grace in two completely different ways. All of them, all 10 of them, uh, the scriptures tell us, that they, they were all afflicted with this dreadful disease. They were determined to do something about it. They had all heard about Jesus and believed that he might have been able to help them. All appealed to Jesus. All acknowledged Jesus as the master. All obeyed Jesus' command to see the priest. And all of them were healed, yet there was only one who came back to Jesus. What's, what's going on here? Well, the scripture really doesn't give us a whole lot of detail, does it, about where these other nine go. We just know what they don't do, not necessarily what they do. But I want to take a very cautious approach to what I think that they must have done. Where do you think they went? Where do you think they kept coming? Instead of coming back and say, thank you, where did you think they went? They went to enjoy the grace of God. They went to the priest. They went to be declared to bear clean. I, I, you can almost imagine maybe there was a conversation that was going on. All right, just bear with me. Uh, maybe a conversation where the one that wants to go back and give thanks and go, guys, hey, listen, we're so excited. Can you imagine the celebration? I mean, there they are finally being able to no longer, uh, you know, high-fouring each other, but high-fiving each other, right? They're looking at each other. This is amazing. Look at me. And then one's like, we got to go back and give thanks. We got to give God. And the rest of the guys sitting there going, look, look, I don't want to go back and give thanks. I want to go forward. Look, I, I'm missing my wife. I'm missing my kids. I'm missing my home and my bed. I want to cut this hair. I want to take a shower. And every single one of them are enjoying every ounce of grace that God himself had bestowed upon them. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. God has given us good things to what? To be able to enjoy and to be grateful for, for those things. But, but let, me, let me ask you this. If you were to ask yourself the question, let me ask, don't answer out loud. Would these men have been thankful for the grace that they had been shown? Don't answer out loud. In one sense, absolutely, right? They would have been thankful. If you would have gone up to them and they were sitting at your Thanksgiving table, what would they say? Man, we're thankful that we got healed. We're thankful for good health. We're thankful for family. We're thankful for food. Does this sound familiar? They would say all of these things. They would be very thankful for all those things. Here's the problem. The essence of their problem is they were thankful for the gift, but they weren't thankful to the giver. That's the problem. You say, is that a big deal? According to Jesus, it was a huge deal. His first thought is, didn't, we, didn't my grace be extended to all ten? Then where are the rest of the nine? It's, 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 it's a huge deal. See, Jesus in this part and in this story demonstrates the benevolent, merciful, and gracious character of God. How many of you here know that God knows how to give good gifts to his children? Would you raise your hand? Give good gifts to his children? Yes. But did you know that he also gives good gifts to those who do not believe in him, those two who are not his children? He gives good gifts and blessings to people that do not believe in him, who hate him, who reject him, that he's even good to those who do not believe that he even exists, that he's even gracious to those who spend their entire life trying to convince others that God is a myth and that God is dead and that he does not exist. God still is bestowing grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. This is what we call common grace. The Bible teaches us that God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. 
He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on righteous and the unrighteous. So there is a common grace that God gives to all, but there is not a common giving of thanks to the giver of those things. And that's the problem. Huge problem. You say, well, Mike, it sounds so close to the same. It sounds so close, but it's so far away. It's so important, and here's why Jesus is so disgraced on it, is because it is God's people who give thanks to God. Those who are not his children enjoy the gift, but they do not recognize or do they thank God. Listen, listen to what the scriptures say. People's salvation is dependent on it. Romans 1.19. I, I, I've studied this passage so many times, and this last week, this is the first time this struck me. Isn't that weird how that happens? I've taught, I've taught it through systematic theology here at the church, but then one part stuck out, and I'm like, I haven't even really seen that or understood that. In, in, in Romans chapter 1, 19, what it's teaching about, or chapter 1, is teaching about what unbelieving people look like, how they live and how they're without excuse and how they suppress the truth and all unrighteousness, even though God has made himself evident to them. Now listen to what the scriptures say. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Do you know what he's saying? He says all of us have the evidence of God all around us through the creation and everything that's made, that food that people eat, the, everything that they enjoy in God's nature. That is for all of us to know that God exists and that he is a good God. But notice what he says in the very last part. It's a part that I've, I've missed. He says, so they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him. Now note this, or give thanks to him. They're grateful and thankful and enjoy the gifts of God without any recognition or thanksgiving that they come from God nor praise him for the good things of God. Now, I watch television. Don't judge me. I do watch some television, and uh, it's usually, and most of the time, wholesome things, as wholesome as TV can be. But I like kind of strange shows. Okay, I'm just going to let you know. Like, I know that comes as a big surprise to many of you. But I really like, like the outdoors, people living outdoors shows. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Like the guys that live out in the wild. They're out there, and they're living off the land. They're killing animals with their teeth. They're eating them. They're growing stuff. You know, they survive. Survival man. Like to go out and do all those things. And they, they, they go out. And there's something about that, isn't there? You know, as you come to your desk every day and you're right in there and you're thinking, yeah, I like to be out in the wild. Now, the truth of the matter is, I would love to be out in the wild too. But if I'm really honest, my hunting skills, I would be dead in a week. I mean, it's just the, it's just the way I'd be dead in a week. But I like to think that I would be able to thrive. And one of my favorite shows, uh, one of my favorite shows is called Alaska, The Last Frontier. And these people are out and they're on this like kind of like family plot of land. And, uh, and, and it just shows this family, you know, the Kilters, I think is their name. And so they're just, and so this last week, the, the, the addition, some of you are like, ah, I've seen this, I've seen this. Some of you just woke up when I mentioned that show. <laughs> I need to watch more television. And so, so we're watching the show and it's about Thanksgiving. And I thought, it's called Thanksgiving and the Homestead, all right? That's their whole family and how they do life. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I've got to watch it. I watch it every week, DVR it. So here I am. I'm watching it. And, and as they go, the whole point of the show is they're all sitting around the Thanksgiving table. And they begin to talk about what the dish that they brought. So some brought deer. 
Some brought bear, bear, bear. I can barely say a beer, beer, bear. Not beer, uh, but the, all right, that, that thing. A beer, bear. Why can't I say it? How do you say it? Don't, don't, ask, don't ask Dan. Uh, he said it. Don't get mad at me. He said it. You guys say, you're terrible to him. He said it, not me. Okay, the big grizzly thing, all right? So they bring that. Some bring a turkey. Some are a duck. So here's what the point was. The point was, each person, whatever meal they brought, they told the story. Then through video, they showed video of them raising up this animal and then how they killed it and how they brought it and how now they were thankful to it because they were allowing it to basically eat it. And so each one, they went around, they showed the bear, you know, getting killed. Oh, I said it. Uh, the, the bear that got killed and the deer that got taken. And, and then they were showing like all the other animals, like the chickens and the, and the, and the duck and, and the turkey. And it, it was kind of brutal, you know, but each one of them, they have this kind of sensitivity to this kind of thing. And, you know, for us, we're just like, oh, man, I don't want to see that. Just go to the grocery store. We want the chicken naked and with no head and in the package. And here's how chicken comes. I mean, they're like the real chicken going around and they're, they're killing them and doing and plucking and doing all these types of things and, 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 and they come in and so what they're saying is, is, is there, each time that they kill one of these animals it's almost kind of like a worshipful moment for them. I, was, I, th- I found this interesting at first. They, they kill the deer and they kind of put their hands on the deer and they're kind of like, thank you buddy. Thank you for giving your life so that you could sustain us and that our life can go on. And each one of them are kind of like that with the duck. It's hard for me to kill the duck but be thankful to the duck. I can't really say that. Let's, let's, be, let's be thankful for the duck, for what the duck has done and given us life and everything. And I kind of want to write, it's one of those where you just kind of, I think differently, I think, and it's not a good thing, than a lot of people, and I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, I want to write them, or I want to write the producers and go, those animals didn't give their life to you. You took their life. In each scene, the bear is running from you, not to you, in an embrace. The deer's not like, here I am, take me, woo! I mean, they're not doing that. They they even showed the turkey. I did not see the turkey. The turkey, they got to hold the neck out. He's not like, there we go, have at it. All right. They didn't do that at all. They're like, he's, you're taking the life. But in this whole episode, it just abruptly ends. They're kind of at the end. And the whole episode in their Thanksgiving was basically being thankful for their ability to live where they live, to get the game that they have, to have the skill that they have, to have the work ethic that they have, and then they're even thanking the animals. But no mention of thank to God. No mention of God, of giving them the ability, giving them the land, giving them privilege, giving them the opportunity, giving them success in hunting. And there is a success in hunting, Right? And, and, and success in all of these different types of things, but nothing. It would be very similar to this. You know how when you go to Thanksgiving with the whole family, sometimes there's tension? No, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that has that. Oh, I need to come to your house for that. But there's always seems to be a little tension. Yeah, everyone's okay. All right, sit down. Shh, don't mention that. All right, that's kind of how it is sometimes when we have the Thanksgiving. And, and, and so, so imagine you coming up to, to dinner, and, and, and Mama makes this amazing uh, uh, Thanksgiving dinner. You, you guys driving with me so far? And you guys sit down, and you guys sit there and go, oh, butterball. You've got to be a butterball turkey. You are like butter, like a ball of butter. Look at you. You're beautiful, baby. Look at you. You're, you're gorgeous. I love you. Look at you. Look at you, potato. 
you're so awesome, you must come from Idaho. That's where all the wonderful potatoes come from. And if you go through all the way down the line and you're just beginning to praise all these things, first of all, everyone's going to think you're crazy. But then daddy, papa, is going to grab you by the ear and he's going to take you outside and he's going to have one of those conversations that you went the whole time thanking the dead turkey and the dead this and the dead potato when your mama was back there working and, and, and working her fingers to the bone and has worked for the last 48 hours to put this on the table. She's the one who has provided this and you want to thank the turkey? What are you doing? You're sitting there and go, that's right. Why? Because we don't thank the gift. We're not appreciative just for the gift in and of itself. The gift leads us back with a heart of appreciation to the giver. That's what thanksgiving is. That's what it ought to be for all of us. And we struggle with it. We struggle with it all the time. We, should, we, we, we struggle. There, there's going to be people that, that, that come to Thanksgiving. And, and they're going to respond more like the nine than they are like the one. Look, look uh, most of us, we're going to sit down Thursday. And guess what's going to happen? Somebody in the group is going to say what? Well, before we eat, this is the person I always want to kill. But before we eat, let's all go around the circle and let's talk about what we're grateful for, shall we? All right, you, do you have those? You might be one of those. And you might be the leader in your house. Let's talk about what we're thankful for. Well, let me guess. Let me just guess. Let me just throw out this. Well, I thank God for my wife. Hey, baby, love you, right? <laughs> I thank God for mom and dad and pops who gives me money every time I thank them at Thanksgiving. Right, pops? Right? I thank God for food. I thank God that I actually that I got into the college I wanted to get into. And the parents like, I thank God that you got into college at all. And I thank God for this job and this job I have. And, 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 and I'm just, and not really the God part, but I'm just thankful for this and I'm thankful for that. And what ends up happening is we go around and the truth of the matter is we have all these people that are grateful, but it's not about just being, having an attitude of gratitude. It's about expressing gratitude not just for the gift or to the gift, but to the one who has ultimately provided that to us. It's so subtle, isn't it? I mean, it's just so subtle. It's just such a, it's not a big truth. It's just this subtle truth. Because when I look back, I think that's the way that most of my thanksgivings go. Well, I'm appreciative of this. Hey, honey, I'm appreciative for all you that you do. But God is sitting there and God is calling us back. And he says, listen, what I want ultimately is it's okay to thank people. It's okay to be grateful for all these things. But it's not what you're grateful for. It's to whom you are grateful to. It's the point of the passage. And Jesus in this passage ultimately demands it. So here's, here's what I'm just going to tell you. It's a very simple truth. Is This week, Thursday comes, and you all sit down. Now, I don't want you to get on to people. This is not a time to, to cause chaos. And when somebody says, you know, I'm really thankful for mashed potatoes. No, you're thankful for God for mashed potatoes. All right, don't, don't do that. It's not time to instruct people. You know what I mean? When I, when I get with my family, it's not time to talk about, like, theology. Because at that particular moment, people hate each other. And so I uh, don't bring that up. But what it is, is maybe you're leading your home, men. Moms, you might be a single mom, you might be whatever it is. Maybe this is the best way for us just to approach the day. Just to sit there and say, hey guys, let's all express what we're thankful to God specifically for. And just that little bit of a thing, it goes from being the nine to being the one. And you know what we need to be thankful for is all of those different things. But the thing that we're most thankful for is, of course, salvation. And that's what happens in this text of Scripture. In the text of Scripture, what we find is at the very end of the story, look what it says in verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
In the Greek there, or in the in the Greek there, basically what he's telling is the idea of being whole is completely whole, spiritually whole. Every part of him is whole, not just physically whole. So this man's faith, which was demonstrated through his thanksgiving to God for his benevolence and for his grace, was enough in a demonstration of his faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. God performs a miracle and heals him right there. And I will tell you this. There may be thing, a lot of things that are going wrong in your life, and you might not be able to think of the temporal things that you were grateful for because you're so bogged down with difficulty. But I'll tell you this. In the heart of every believer is a massive heart of gratification to thank God for the greatest demonstration of his grace. And that is he did give up a lamb. And that lamb was not forced to put his head on the block. He willingly laid his life down in order for you and I to be saved and pay for the sins of the world. That, my friend, is something to give thanks to God for. Amen? So let me just say this, and, and, and if you want to follow tradition, I'm kind of a tradition guy, not traditionalism, but tradition. And let me say this. Two things I'll close you with, two quotes. The pilgrims settled in, in, in 1620. They came, and here they were with a new hope of a new land. And as they came the first year, did you know that almost 50% of them were wiped out through sickness and disease and cold and exposure and all those things and starvation? Almost half of them were wiped out. But in their first year, in, in 1621, is when they had the first Thanksgiving. They're the old pilgrims there, and they go out, and they get the pheasants and the birds and the turkey, and the Indians come, and they give six deer that they bring. Must have been pretty good deer hunters. Brought six deer for them to be able to eat. And they all come down, and, and they all feast together. Well, there's a man that was there at that day, the very first, Edward Winslow. And he sits down, and he writes about that first day. He says, our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, which means they went out to get the turkey, so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we gathered the fruit of our labors. Do you hear what he's saying? We're, we're rejoicing over these good things. And he says, and although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want. The very first Thanksgiving, what do they do? Just show appreciation for what they have? No, they appreciate what they have, but they demonstrate their appreciation to the one who's ultimately given it. Finally, Abraham Lincoln in 1863, I believe it was in the middle of the Civil War. I need to go back and look at that for a moment. It went blank. But Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation for the perpetual national, uh, uh, national holiday to give thanks. He wrote these words. He says, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are sojourning in the foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to the benefactor, Father, who dwelleth in the heavens. So the very beginning and the very purpose of Thanksgiving, of setting aside, is not to sit around like nine lepers that might say, hey, there's a lot for me to be grateful for. But in light of what we're grateful for, to begin praise and honor and glory and thanksgiving to the one who's made it possible. Amen? So that's what we've got to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Ashley and the band to be able to come at this point. The invitation is very simple. Stand, if you will. The invitation is very simple. You can always cry out for mercy in God and ask God to forgive you and ask God to save you today. And that would be a wonderful day. But here's what I'm going to specifically ask each of you. Y'all look up here just for a moment. I know I've gone long and you talk about turkey and you get sidetracked. I get it. But here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. Here's how I'm asking you to respond. I want you to just take this time because if you're like me, I spend the majority of my prayers asking for things. Very little bit of my prayers actually thanking God for the answer of those prayers. 
Will you just discipline yourself in this response to sit back and begin to say, God, thank you for, thank you for, and begin to list the things that you are thankful for. With each one, God, I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for my country. I'm thankful for my husband. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful. Give him glory. Give him honor. Give him praise. All right, let's do that. You are good. You are good, you are good when there's nothing good.